Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, 1 Peter chapter 5 and John's Gospel chapter 21. 1 Peter chapter 5 and John's Gospel chapter 21 in a Bible study that I've entitled very simply, Humble Yourself. Humble Yourself. And it's been my prayer as we turn our attention to Peter, it's been my prayer that through our studies that we all gain a greater love and appreciation for Pastor Peter. That he's not simply a joke anymore, someone to make fun of. Someone say, oh, there is another, you know, he always put his foot in his mouth, even though at times he did. I think that what you learn in Peter's letter, this one and the next one, is that he profoundly loved Jesus. It transformed his entire life. And I believe you'll find the same thing. I believe you'll come to, as you examine your life, you will see what you love the most will transform your life. What you love the most, if not God, will become an idol in your life. And the Bible says that you and I will become like our idols if we spend time exercising love and care and concern. Peter's writing to these scattered, hassled believers living out their lives in the first century under great difficulty, under great persecution. And through him, the Holy Spirit has encouraged them and exhorted them and spoken to us. And you know, Peter, when you're thinking of it, Peter reminds us that God gives second chances. Some of you doubt that. You wonder if you've gone too far. You, you wonder if the place that you're in right now is you've passed the place of no return. There's a friend of mine in another state that I've been reaching out to who failed greatly. Pastor, many years, far longer than me. And he failed greatly. And I just get this overwhelming sense that he thinks there's a, he passed the point of no return. And I felt like this burden to continue to text him every couple days, a scripture that reminds him of the God of the second chances, the God of grace, the, the God that is wanting to reveal his deep love to him. Notice in John 21, in verse 15, it's the time when Jesus meets Jesus and restores him and re returns him to ministry. So, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. God restored him into ministry, restored him to a place of service, and he gives him the rest of his life. He says, this is the rest of your life. I, I want you to feed, tend, and feed my ship, sheep because of your love for me. 
It all is going to follow love. It won't be your great knowledge. It won't be, you know, if we put things into today's context, it won't be your great education. It won't be because somebody ordained you into ministry. It won't be any of the things that, look, because you love me, yes, you know I love you. Because you love me, yes, I know you know I love you. Because you love me, yes, I knew. Then take care of my sheep. Feed them, tend them. And by the way, when you're older, you're going to die a violent death. It is going to end very poorly. Oh, and now you see the future, what's up ahead for you, Peter. But now I want you to follow me. And there's three elements here that we won't develop, but I want you to know them that will help you as you're serving Jesus in tough times. Number one, stoke and fan the flames of your love for God. Like remember your first love. If you've left your first love, come back, repent, come back to your first love. Number two, understand that God has your future. (laughs) You know, when you're serving the Lord, God's going to take care of you. It may not end as well as you, but he's going to take care of you along the way. You You just serve and love. Make sure you're doing what God has called you to do. That's where your greatest satisfaction. And then finally, in the moment, remember ministry is about loving Jesus and following him. Follow him tenaciously with great endurance. Peter not only reminds us that God gives second chances, but he also reminds us that God cares for his flock. He cares for the church. He especially cares for a church that's suffering. And that's the theme of the letter. Suffering comes to us all. And God is using the trials and the suffering in our lives to make us more like Christ to give us more empathy and care for a hurting world around us. You're hurting right now. Some of you are listening, you're hurting right now. I acknowledge that pain in your life. But I want you to step back for a moment and just consider how it is where the world is hurting and they don't know Jesus. They're in a very difficult place, like some of you were, in a very challenging place. You're hurting, they're hurting, but you hurt with hope. You have hope in your life that this is not all there is. God is tying all the loose ends together of your life so that when you stand before him, you could hear these words. Don't you want to hear these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God's putting it together for us. Peter also reminds us that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's not the shepherd. We learned that last time. You're not the shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's coming again. That's where true hope comes from. This world isn't our home. And so chapter five opened up with these exhortations for leadership. As we learned last time, it's an important study that I encourage you to go back onto the app and listen. Today we're gonna pick up where we left off in verse five. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God Resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submission, it's not a new subject. Peter's already taught us about submission earlier in his letter. He mentions it earlier. It's not new. But it is a topic that we need to be reminded of continually. Because submission, notice how he ties it together with humility. Submission is the key to humility. You know, you show me someone who's proud and loud and boisterous, and causing problems, and I'll show you an unsubmissive, selfish person. 
Someone that's always drawing attention to themselves, someone that is, even if it's in the moment, I'll show you. You show me a loud, boisterous man, I'll show you a man that's prideful. I'll show you that man. I'll re- he, God, what is God is revealing to you that this man or woman is unsubmissive, unsubmissive to the Lord and not acknowledging those around him. Now, you younger people, notice he mentions you younger people, you younger people, which is pretty much most everyone listening to me right now, younger than me, you younger people, listen, you younger people can learn something from the older saints. Older saints are important to the body of Christ. You never age out in, in, in the church. You're never useless or unneeded because you've crossed a certain threshold of age. Now, I know those of you that may not be so younger, uh, we might refer to you as older, you older saints, may feel like you're forgotten at times or even set aside because of the rapid changes that take place. And I bet you some of you, even in the context of our own ministry, may even feel like the change, 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 and it's so hard to keep up with it because the world's changing, church is changing, everything seems to be changing, and it's hard to adapt to change. And so the older you get, the more set you get in your ways. But I'm telling you as your shepherd and pastor that the changes that we make are not intended to hurt you. You're already saved. They're intended to reach the lost and to stay current with our culture. Remember, the methodology of ministry has to change. The message never changes, but the methodology does change. And let me just say this. I'm very appreciative, and and if you would allow me to use the language, very proud of you older saints that go along with the changes that we make. It just is a blessing, even if you don't like them. You know, even if you're like, I don't think I like that. I I don't think, you know, why is the stage so hazy? What's that all about? And why all the, you know, you can think of the things that fill my email box from time to time. But you know, you, you, you steady on because you love the Lord and you love your church and you love this community. And things are changing. There's nothing we can do about it except adapt ourselves to it and maybe even get ahead of it, right? And say, Lord, what do you want to do before everyone knows? You know, that, that's how we handled this whole crisis uh, that we just came through. As a, as a pastoral team, as a leadership team, we just prayed. And as I look back, the Lord was giving us wisdom before we ever heard about it. He was giving us decisions that we were two or three weeks ahead of what was coming down in the culture. And I'm just like, man, Lord, why can't it be, always be like that? You know, because we're waiting on the Lord for things. So you younger people, it's important that you respect the older and understand that when changes take place and there's, there's a lot of wisdom in those that are older than you. There's a lot of wisdom and we would do well to listen and to learn and together it's not an old fashioned thing to listen to senior saints. Some of those of you that are growing gracefully in age, you're so needed. You're needed in the body of Christ. And you're like, well, you know, I'm just going to go find a church where everybody's like me. Don't do that. So you need to be, you need the younger people in your life to keep you on your toes <laughs> and to stir you up. And that new believer zeal, you know, you're walking with the Lord 40, 50 years and it just becomes regular and routine and then some whippersnapper, young new believer comes and it's just running, 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 running. You're like, oh, I can't keep it. But then the Lord says, no, that youthfulness is still in you. You are still youthful at heart and we're needed together. But I I would say that as we love your years 
of wisdom and uh, your years of experience, those of you that are older. I also want to say to those that are older, I don't want you to confuse age with maturity. Age doesn't necessarily equal spiritual maturity. And because you have an age, you know, you have the advantage of age on someone, doesn't mean that you're spiritually much more mature than them. And so we want to be mutually respectful, or what he says, we want to learn to be mutually submissive. And so now he deals with the age differences. You know, he deals with, the Bible deals with the gender differences. It deals with age differences. It deals with us as the body of Christ that we learn to submit to one another. So whether you're young and you don't want to submit to the older saints, or another challenging thing is you older saints don't want to submit to someone younger than you. But if God has placed that man or woman over you in leadership, who are we to say? I remember there used to be a season, it's not that way anymore, but there used to be a season early on in Marie and my ministry where we were the youngest person everywhere we went. And yet God had entrusted to me to very serious levels of leadership over people that were, were in the Lord more years than I was alive. And it was very intimidating. But God had put me there. I didn't put myself there. God put me there. And he put me there so that those that I was serving that were older than me could learn how to submit to a young man that was learning. I mean, I think even back to the time when the church just started. And I'm in my early 30s. And most everyone in the church, except for their children, were older than me. And they had to endure all the mistakes I made. And all of the stumblings, which still, if you're a part of this church, you still have to endure the mistakes that I make. But in those early days, in a church plant, like it was a real challenging thing. So not only am I making mistakes, but I'm also young. But I know in the Lord, we can do this. In the Lord, but the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't have to rise up in pride with the answer of, I don't have to submit. I, doesn't, don't they know how wise I am, how much experience I have? Listen, God resists, it says, the proud. And some of you are just making no progress in your Christian life because you are a prideful man. You are a prideful woman. And you wonder, why isn't there any progress? Why am I not seeing more fruit from my life? Why is everybody angry with me? Why, where are all my, uh, you name the things that come from pride and here it is, God is resisting you in your ministry. He's resisting your pride. And you wonder, though, well, the person that, look at that brother over there, you know, had less experience, he's younger than me, look at that sister. And, and she's just being an outflow of fruit. Well, because God gives grace to the humble. God is gracious to those that walk in humility. God hates the sin of pride, church. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance in the evil way, in the perverse mouth, I hate. Pride is what turned Lucifer into Satan. Pride is what plunged the human race into sin in the garden. And pride is what stumbles us almost every day in our spiritual lives. Pride and arrogance. The, remember our threefold enemy? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. You and I face a threefold enemy. John says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and what? The pride of life. They're not of the Father, but of the world. But here, when he says in verse 5, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. 
be clothed with humility. There's a beautiful grace that comes to the humble, but resistance to the proud. Look, in submission, when I choose to submit, when I remember we learned the definition to fall in line, to fall in order, to basically get in line, to come alongside so that there's order and not chaos. We looked at that word in previous studies. When I choose to submit, I'm trusting that my God is larger than any situation and any person in my life. That is my choice. When I choose to submit, I'm trusting that God is larger than any situation and any person in my life. If mom and dad make wrong decisions, I'm still right with God because I've chosen to submit. If a pastor or a leader makes a wrong decision, I trust God. If my husband or wife makes a wrong decision, God is my strength. My responsibility is not to make sure that those in authority over us are to make all right decisions. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be right with my heavenly father no matter what he allows to come into our lives. And if there is true sin in these relationships, the Bible gives the remedy for resolution and reconciliation. And it starts with, if your brother sinned against you, go to him, you and him alone, share the matter with him. And what is about what did Jesus say? If your brother hears you, you have won your brother. That's where it starts. I have found, that's in, from Matthew chapter 18 toward the second half, biblical resolution. I have found that most of the issues are solved it's step number one. I don't know what the percentages are, but you know, 90% of the issues are solved because there's a misunderstanding and I didn't know and thank you for telling me and, and sometimes it's even really serious. You're crying, you're repentant. I didn't mean that. I'm not sure what was, like, please forgive me. There's no excuses. There's no, well, you know, I'm sorry, sort of, kind of, you were hurt because I did something. That's not gonna help the process. But a true godly sorrow of saying, what I did hurt you, will you forgive me for that? I don't wanna do it ever again. I mean, it's truly hard not to forgive someone when they come with the humility and admit that they failed. And most of the time you do find that in relationships there's responsibility, some on both sides. And there's just a beautiful thing that God does when we come together. But my responsibility is just to trust the Lord. That's what, I mean, he's made it very easy. He's made it very easy. And my responsibility is to trust the Lord. Even in the role that I have in the church as a leader, as a pastor, my responsibility is not to make sure everybody does everything right. I mean, there's discipleship and there's coming alongside, but I, that's, my responsibility is to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as myself. My responsibility is to help people keep their eyes on the Lord. Let's stay in unity and watch the Lord work through our diversity. And if I start paying attention to every little detail and every little, then I'll just go out of my mind. I need to trust in the Lord because God gives grace and it becomes all these circumstances that surround our lives, it actually drives us to humility. And when you're in a place of humility and you recognize you can't solve the problem, you recognize that you don't have the answer, you recognize maybe in a position you were wrong, then it places you in a position of humility and in that humility, what happens? God is right there gracing you, giving you the grace that's specific to humility. Notice, therefore, verse six, with that in mind, submission, pride being resisted, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, 
for he cares for you. It's such a beautiful passage. You and I can make a conscious choice to humble ourselves. It's not something that you want God to do. You really have two choices. You have the choice to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, or the mighty hand of God will humble you. It's your choice. Especially when God is revealing things to you in his word, like like even talking about submission today, God has led some of you to say, you know what? Either humble yourself or God's gonna humble you, but you're gonna end up in a position of humility before the Lord. It will come in my life and in yours. You can take the first step and say, will you forgive me? First to God, Psalm 51, jot it down, the great psalm of repentance from David. You wanna, you wanna hear and feel what real repentance is like? Read Psalm 51. And you'll see that first his repentance and brokenness was toward God and then toward others. He wasn't trying to solve situations and smooth things over. He was crushed by his sin before God. He was crushed. And as you humble yourself, you'll notice that God will exalt you in due time. You think a lot of times there is this desire not to humble yourself because then you think you just stay low, you'll stay low, you'll stay low, people walk all over you. You know, if I submit, you don't understand that, I'll just be taken advantage of. No, no, no. When you take the place of humility in due time, God raises you up. He does the work in his timing. And it is rough sometimes to be under the mighty hand of God. But notice, the word is, in that phrase at the end of verse six, you might want to mark it, because some of you are in this phrase right now, in due time. It's God's timing. The Bible says that God makes everything perfect in his time. All things are made in his timing, not mine. It's a beautiful thing when my timing matches God's timing, but most of the time, that's not how it is. God's timing is different. His ways are different than mine. His thoughts are different. And in Psalm 75, verse 6, we learned in our context of leadership last time, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. And it's sometimes just hard waiting for God to give a promotion. It's just hard. It's difficult waiting and waiting. You just feel like you're waiting forever, but God is doing a work in the waiting. We often think we deserve more. We often think that we're ready for more. We often want more. But God in due season, at just the right time, moves in our lives. Let me show you another place. This is all throughout the Bible. But I want to show you in Psalm 1. Would you turn back with me to Psalm 1? I want you to see this because this, this, this sense of timing from the Lord and his work in your life is all throughout the Bible. Notice with me in Psalm 1. And pick up right in verse 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So these are all, these could be used as actions defining, maybe you're asking the question, well, I don't understand, how do I humble myself? How is that? You know, part of the humility breaking down pride It's just admitting you're wrong. It's asking for forgiveness. It's admitting you don't know everything. There there are some basic things, but also spiritually, here, you want to be humble? Then walk. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You want to be humble? Don't stand with sinners. 
You want to be humble? Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. But instead, you want to be humble? Humble, delight yourself in the word. Meditate it in day and night. And look what happens. He shall be, verse 3, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit. You might want to mark that phrase. When does it bring forth its fruit? In its season. What does Peter say? In due time. You got to trust in the Lord. He says, your leaf's not going to wither. Whatever you do will prosper. It's God in due season. He moves in our lives. I'm reminded of God's hand in my life even when I wasn't interested and when I didn't care. When the Bible, when this verse described my life, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for me and for you. When I didn't want anything to do with him, when I wasn't interested in the gospel at all, the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ was available to, available to me then. This is Romans 5, 6. And it's important during times of great humbling in my life, great waiting, that things, when things aren't happening the way I would want them, to learn to be content with what God is doing. Not to be caught up with everything that God's not doing, but to really enjoy and be content with what God is doing. Not to be jealous of someone else's life or someone else's circumstances or someone else's possessions or someone else's station in life, but rather to be happy and content with what God's doing in my life today. To fan the flames of appreciation and contentment. That God is going to be encouraging me while I wait. He's going to be strengthening me while I wait. And he's going to be promoting me in his due time. You can just save yourself all the extra pain and agony and choose tonight to submit to the will of God of where you are right now and trust him with the outcome. Just like Peter. Peter didn't know what was going to happen. Feed my lambs. Take care. And then, you know, when you're older, you're going to die. It's going to be horrific, Peter. But right now, follow me. There's some tending and some feeding. There's some difficulty up ahead, Peter. But right now, follow me. Church, there's an open door of ministry available to us. There are people to share and love and care and serve. There are people that we'll be able to, in Jesus' name, give a cup of cold water. Or brother sent me an email today. It was so beautiful. He sent me an email with pictures of this small little group he got together to go paint someone's house in Jesus' name. Beautiful. Just from the Lord. It, was just a, it just popped up and I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful email. Just to see the Lord stirring on people. to go. It wasn't a ministry. It wasn't anything we set up. God dropped something in this brother's heart, got some guys together, and they went and painted a house. How? In Jesus' name. I mean, God's going to use that in our community. There's open doors. Feed, tend, care, serve. Oh, and by the way, it's going to get harder. But right now, follow me. How am I going to get through it, Ed? How am I going to wait? How am I going to make it through another day, another moment? Here's another, what am I, follow me. Deny yourself. It's not, it hasn't changed now at the end of Peter's life and Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. It hasn't changed. Anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that's what Peter gets. And that's how we get a letter. Peter obeyed this. And that's why we have two letters. From a man that many people wrote off, I'm sure. God will do the promoting in his time. In the meantime, he wants to teach you and train you and develop you in the character of Christ. Notice again verse 7. What a beautiful passage. Casting, mark that word, all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Take every need to him in those times of anxiousness. 
and worry, cast them upon the Lord. He cares for you. He so totally cares and loves you. The Greek language here speaks of a once and for all casting. Cast them and leave them there. Cast them and leave them there. And that, that's hard to do in our minds. We are able to cast them, but we just take them home. We're able to cast them, but then it, a phone rings and it's worse. We're able to cast them, and there, there is a once-for-all repetitive habit of bringing your concerns to the Lord. It's not giving him a few. It's not holding on to the ones that we think we can handle on our own. It's not even picking and choosing what you think is important to God. You know, how many times have you heard, well, you know, I just didn't pray about that because I didn't think God cares. No, he does care. He cares for you. And because he cares for you, you cast all your care. It's a place of humility and trust. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 10, verse, well, let's not jot it down. Turn over there, Luke chapter 10. You can see this for yourself. Instead of quoting it from memory, let's read it together. There's power in reading God's word. So let's allow it to be read. This is that familiar passage of the sisters, Mary and Martha, and the visit of Jesus to their home. And in verse 38, it says, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had called a sister, and she had called a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary's chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. In this case, I don't believe that Martha's mistake was serving because it comes after in a preposition. I believe the mistake that she makes is often the one that we make in verse 40. She was distracted. And in her distraction, you have this cycle of serving and because you're so busy serving, you're distracted. And notice what happened in verse 41. Jesus says, the issue of your serve, your, the problem with your distraction is you're worried and troubled. You are worried and troubled. You're worried about your sister, troubled about her. You think she should do something else. But in actuality, it's like a real gentle, careful rebuke. You know, the, the reality is, is that she's really made a good choice. Her choice has been really good. He never says her choice was bad. The results of it were bad. I mean, somebody's going to cook a meal and be gracious and hospitable. That is lifted up for us as a character trait to have in the body of Christ. But he's like, look, this, the, the issue is this. Mary's chosen a good thing. And you're worried and troubled all about the wrong thing. And because you're worried and troubled, you're distracted. And so dealing with this distracted life, you've poured yourself into serving. And because you've got all this mixture, I just want you to know what, you're, what you see in your sister, Ryan, you, it's worth copying. She took the lower place. If you could see, you know, you got Martha standing up and working super hard in the kitchen. And then you've got Martha just down at that lower place at the feet of Jesus, which was not a, a clean uh, place to be and not a desired place to be for the Jewish person, male or female. It was responsibility, as you remember, as Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, it was the responsibility of the lowest slave in the house to be at the feet of 
the guests. Mary took that place of absolute humility before Jesus and Jesus says, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. And one of the descriptions of this that I always like to remind myself is in Martha's busy, distracted, serving and worried and trouble, all she could do is tell Jesus what to do. But in that sweet place of humility, Mary, or Mary at the feet, Martha busy, Mary at the feet of Jesus, Mary was so close and so quiet and so intimate with her Savior that if he wanted to whisper to her, he could hear the whisper. And it's a beautiful thing to be close to him, to be in that place of trusting the chief shepherd where there's peace and comfort. Jesus is the chief shepherd, Peter said. He wants us to know that he cares. He cares. Jesus is the pastor that will never let you down. Jesus is the pastor that will never discourage you. Jesus is the pastor that will never, be, never feel overwhelmed with you. Jesus is the pastor that will never be disappointed in you. We learned a song just recently at the end of our services this last weekend. Beautiful song. It's just a, it was just such a sweet time. It, everything flowed so well. And I don't know how many of you really paid attention or could grasp in the first time through. Uh, but I downloaded the song in Apple Music and I started playing it again all week here. And these lyrics uh, are powerful in, when you think of the care of Jesus. And, and here's the lyrics. This is how the song starts. Uh, it's Jaira from Chandler Moore, Maverick City in Elevation. It says, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. And then they said this phrase. This is an interesting phrase, those of you who heard it. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. <laughs> that was just, like, what did I have to bring to Jesus when I, like, what? I, like, I, 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 am, I came to him totally dependent as I am to this moment. I wasn't holding him up. I'm not somehow propping up the life of God. And because of that, I can trust him with my life even when I failed him. Like, I love that. I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. And then there's that phrase, doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. I was like, so good. That's what Peter's saying here in a different way. Inspired of the Holy Spirit, Peter's saying, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to take care of him. Again, if you want, uh, let me read to you from Psalm 103 from the New Living Translation. Uh, it, it is a beautiful thing where God is saying to us, he says, the Lord is, this is Psalm 103, verse eight, New Living Translation. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers us, he remembers we are only dust. He's like a father to his kids. 
He knows, it says tender and compassionate. He knows how weak we are. I love how they put that. Because if you look in the New King James, it sounds a little harsher, doesn't it? I mean, it's a great attribute, but in the New King James, in Psalm 103, it says in that very same section, it doesn't talk about the tenderness as much. Notice in, in verse, again, verse 13, it says, as a father pities his children. I just think that's a poor translation. He's not around pitying you. What a poor position you're in. If you just look to me, you'd be better. No, it's, it's a, as a father has compassion and tenderness. He's not, it's not pitying. He's Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frames. You know, it says pities twice. No, he's tender and compassionate like a dad, like a perfect dad. Even if you haven't experienced that, you know, with Father's Day upon us, I know it's not always an easy day with the relationships with dads or lack thereof. But you can change that in your generation. You can change what by coming to your heavenly father, even as you would want your kids to come to you. Well, before we head out, I do want to deal quickly with verse 8 and 9. Because in humility and submission, there's a warfare going on. And he says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This is so important to be reminded that there's always a battle in times of struggle, in times of persecution, in times of unfairness and injustice, anxieties, frustrations. But even in times of peace and blessing, there's a warfare. You have, notice he says, you have an adversary. The devil is not your friend. Neither is anything that he says or anything that he does. An adversary, the word is often used in the Greek language to describe like an attorney opposing you. You have someone in opposition to you. And perhaps you can understand this because in, in your human relationships, you have adversaries. It's not fun, is it? It's not fun to have someone opposing you, someone coming, always coming against you, someone that is always calling you names or wanting to tear you down. Uh, that those, are, those, those are really instruments of your real adversary, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle isn't in the human realm, even though it's lived out in the human realm. That that's not the real enemy. The real enemy is right here. You have an adversary, the devil. And he's, roar, he's walking around roaring, looking on the prowl for a weak spot or to have you corner where you have no way out. Here you are, you want to grow and be mightily used of God. You want to walk in humility. You want no longer to have pride. But Satan, he wants to devour and destroy you. He wants to devour your dreams, your marriage. He wants to corrupt your singleness. He wants to erode and make your ministry ineffective. He wants you. He wants your spouse. He wants your kids. He wants your family. And let me tell you, he'll take everything that you will give him, including your life. He's, he wants to take you out. Remember the enemy we learned, he comes except to kill, steal, and destroy. There isn't anything else he does. He, he is a destructive, evil, rebellious, created being that opposes God and every high thing that is in your life. You know, we, we hear the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's true. But the devil hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. 
We learn to abide in Christ. And notice he says, be sober. Man, be sober-minded. Keep your mind clear. Of course, that speaks of alcohol and drugs and things that will mess up your thinking. But it also, you can be drunk with, with, you know, you can be drunk on success. You can be drunk on wealth. You can be all, you, you can lack sobriety by being caught up in things you don't belong in. I think of everyone that turns to pornography, even people who are thinking about doing pornography tonight after church. That is not a sober thing to do. That is not a vigilant thing to do. You are placing yourself in a position for the enemy, your adversary, to utterly destroy you. And that's even before you're found out. That's even before it comes out. That's even before you come clean to your wife, before you come clean to your pastoral overseer, before you come clean to your boss because it's on company computers. It's already destroying you because your adversary is taking advantage of the weakness of your flesh and that selfish desire to satisfy yourself in a means that is unworthy of the calling of God. Be sober. It's not just drunkenness. I mean, staying away, you know, as I've been sharing with you, church, over the years, staying away from alcohol and drugs is a gimme. That is an easy one. That's easy. You will never, ever in a million years ever get drunk if you don't take the first drink. Never. You want to stay away from the sin of drunkenness? Don't take the first drink. Oh, but Ed, I can handle it. That, that's up between you and the Lord. I don't know what you can handle, what you can't handle. But if you take a drink, you are on the pathway to drunkenness. Amen. Period. There, I don't know what, what other pathway are you on. There's just no other path. And so the Bible says you want to deal with the enemy? Be sober. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. And then what do you do in verse 9? Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Isn't, it's good, you know, isn't it? That... Uh, Peter doesn't say, scream at him, yell at him, take your coat off and spin it like on television. Oh, you devil, I'll take you on. The devil just like, you, seriously, bro. <laughs> seriously, you, you do not understand. There is power, not in yelling at the devil and screaming at the devil, but abiding in Christ. Because you have an advocate. You have an adversary, but what does the Bible say? You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is able to stand in the gap when the accusations come and the temptations come your way and all it, like, no, 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 I'm in Christ. My life is hidden in him. And you can be strong there, but man, we put ourselves in places of weakness. Not only that, he says, number one, resist them. Number two, steadfast in the faith. And I believe tonight, you know, being among the believers, listening, watching online, maybe catching it later after work, like this is, this is a step of steadfastness. Doing things you don't want to do. Like I'd rather be at home sleeping because you had a tire. It's not a sinful decision. I'd rather be home watching the Dodger game. That's not a sinful decision. The Dodgers are doing so well right now. You know, I, want, I wanted a, a meal tonight. You know, we had a special dinner, but you know, I think I needed to be a Bible study because I want to be steadfast in the faith. I want to be steadfast. And, and your steadfastness is required when you're ready to give up. Steadfastness is required when you're tired. Steadfastness is required, just like submission. It's like submission is needed when you don't want to submit. That's the time to submit. And so stay steadfast in the faith. And, and let me just say it on a simple scale. Hey, stay steadfast in the faith. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Be in fellowship every day. If you need to, take a few of those communion packets, take them home, have communion at home. 
be Acts 2.42 right in your home. And if you say, well, Ed, can I take a box? No, you can't take a box. But you can order them on Amazon if you want. <laughs> like, you can get them if you want. But like, take a few and say, I'm going to have communion with my family. I'm going to get my kids together. And so they're in Sunday school right now. So when I get them from children's ministry, you know, this week, we'll just have a little time. We'll have communion in the front room. You can do it. Steadfast in the faith. Church in your home. Church in your car. Church in the building. Steadfast in the faith. Staying singular focus, seeking ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And then he also adds in verse 9, I like this, and this is where we'll close. Just know that your brothers around the world are suffering too. You're not alone in your suffering. In the attacks, the roaring lion, we have the protection of God. Daniel's testimony will become our testimony. The roaring lion can't touch you. He's roaring, he's fighting, he's up in your grill. You can feel his breath, all the, all the spit coming out of the lion's mouth, but he can't touch you. The lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, stands in our defense. And then you're not the only one, like the whole world's going through it. One of the things that God's really led me recently to do is to read, go back into some of the resources I have. I already own them. I've read them years ago, but I'm reading about the suffering around the world. Right now I'm reading Brother Yoon's testimony of the underground church in China and the things that brother went through. Like that brother, man, he is such a great testimony. Next I'll be reading that book. It was a pick of the month not too long ago about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East suffering underground in Iraq, in Iran. And it's given me, reminding me of perspective in my own life. Yeah, I have some difficulties in my life for sure. Difficulties I'd never want you to experience. But what about my brothers in Egypt? And it reminded me thinking, man, we had so much ministry with that little church in Egypt. And after the pastor was murdered, I don't, we don't know what happened to all those believers. And my heart, I'm going, all these pictures are popping up of our time of ministry. There were the kiddos there. And we we're giving those little cars there. And we were teaching in that little, and, and all these memories. And I just, the Lord's like, I'm just like, Lord, what happened to them? Are they okay? Are they making it? Remembering the last time we went that they had set up in that little, they had this little section in the slums of Egypt for a church. They had a reserve there. Pastor was able to secure it. But across the way, there was a big speaker. Over to the left, a big speaker. Over here, another big speaker from the three mosques that got spaces right around and would just blare constantly, continually, especially when the saints were gathered together. And I was just, all these memories started flooding my mind thinking, Lord, bless those saints. Those kids got to be, you know, adults by now. They, they got to be, it's been 10 years. Uh, and so some of those kids, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, they've got to be adults by now. And the church there has been greater persecuted since we left, not le less. And my heart's just out for them. Yeah, we have, it, we, have, we have some challenges here. We do. But man, my brothers, if I can get outside of myself, the Lord will give me perspective of my challenges. If I can just serve my, give myself and, and get to that place where I'm just serving, laying my life on the altar, and this isn't just for me, I'm asking you to do the same thing. You think you have it hard, you probably do. You probably do. But Peter says, just understand, a lot of people are suffering around the world. The believers, this is specific. The same sufferings are your brothers and sisters around the world. That's why, you know, when we have these short-term trips, they, these aren't, I, I, these aren't trips like, they're not vacations. They're not little vacations to go somewhere. We serve the Lord there. And full-time missionaries come from these short-term trips. 
So much so that we've learned over the years, we, we, don't, we, we used to take these huge trips. Like I think Pastor Ian used to take the large, I think he took 40 people once. And it's just too much. So we've taken it down and said, no, we're going to be lean and mean in our teams and focus to get you into a place where you will be out of your element. You will be absolutely uncomfortable. You will not like where you're sleeping. You probably won't like the food you're eating. Everything about it you won't like so that you can humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and serve those people that God took you to. You've raised support from all your friends. They've given you $5, $100. They've all sent it to the church, comes through our thing. They get a receipt that they gave to a charitable donation. And what did they do? They gave to support you to go serve in New Jersey. Gave to you to go support and watch. You go, but Ed, it's like in the United States. Go, and then you come back with a testimony. We just got back from watch. You go and see it for yourself. You see the utter poverty there. You hear the gunshots there. You walk through every single door of the projects like we did and see how people are scared to answer the door. They want nothing to do with strangers. You, you're there, you be there when we distributed thousands upon thousands, and I don't even know what we're doing. I think they're gonna do on that side, maybe VBS. I don't know what they're doing, but you'll find out when you go to the meeting because all of you are gonna go to the meeting, right? <laughs> At least go to pray because we're gonna do a meeting to go, but we're also gonna have a go team. So you don't have to go. You can go and stay while they're serving. You're going to be supporting. So we're redoing all the, COVID has helped us rethink everything. And it's a beautiful thing what God has given to us. But you know, the, you be there when, when you're distributing that food and everyone's in line and they have nothing. They literally have nothing. This is going to be a lifeline for them. And you meet Jose, who spends almost every waking hour trying to hustle up stuff for the people of Watts. You want to know why he grew up there? This is his hometown. And he serves at great sacrifice and great pain and great difficulty. That's our brotherhood. And he's just a thousand miles away. Not even. Or the ministry that we have down right here. Right here on Colfax. Right here in Aurora. Church. It is hard. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's hard for you right now. I'm sorry. It's hard for me right now. But don't forget your brotherhood. They're suffering too. Their suffering is something that we share together. And you know what I found? It really helps when you help carry the load with one another. It really helps when we obey God. I've never been, dis- I've never been disappointed when I've cast my care upon the Lord. I was even doing that early this morning. And the Lord spoke to me this morning. I wrote it in my journal. The Lord spoke to me. I shared it with the staff. I wrote... Ed, you just got to do what you're supposed to do. That was his word to me. I just got to do what I'm supposed to do. And, just, and it was like my, my version of, like, keep your eyes on me, and I got you, ta- I'm taking care of you. You just got to do what I put you on the earth to do, son. You'll find your most joy when you fulfill my call upon your life. You're going to be most encouraged when you are exactly where I want you. So just do what you got to do. And I share that with you. Maybe that's a word from the Lord for you. Gave it for me, but it's also for you. Just do what you're supposed to do. Be sober. Be vigilant. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Stand strong as we'll see next time in the grace of God. Because he loves you and he cares for you. And the key to accessing all of this is that choice to humble myself and abide in Christ. Isn't that good? So good. So Lord, thank you so much for your word. And the beauty of remembering the place, the lower place in our lives. I pray, I mean, I didn't expect to talk about missions, so I pray for that. 
I pray for people hearing it on the radio um, months from now where like the trips are already be over, but then it's going to stir up um, short-term trips and, and maybe even a shorter-term trip to go across the street to our neighbor or over the fence and just minister to love and mercy and grace. Maybe buy a Bible for our boss or um, a book on pain for our coworker or yeah, who knows? We just want to be used by you in these last days. And I thank you for that word I received. Just do what you got to do. And I pray that over our church. I pray, God, that we would not place ourselves or our country as the center of all things. You alone are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the center of all things. You are the beginning and the end of life. Everything is consummated in you, and you return for us. Let us remember the brotherhood tonight, God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Let us remember the brotherhood. I pray for those kiddos and parents in Egypt. It was hard when we were there. I don't know how hard it is now. I pray for the ministry in Johannesburg in Cape Town. I pray for the pastor, Dimitri, and his wife, Karen, that have just been so much pain and heartache in their life recently. I pray for Pastor DeBeer in, in Cape Town and, and just the, the years of battle to get a, a venue. Um, you know, on and on, I can think of the relationships we have around the world, even as we head out to Mexico shortly to meet Dan and see the ministry that we just started supporting. Lord, let us remember the brotherhood. Ten, feed, care, take care of the sheep. It's going to get harder, but today follow me. And may that be our our banner over our lives until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.